All right, welcome back to the No Mulligans podcast here in the studio at Franklin Bridge. And if you guys are watching on YouTube, which you should be, uh, you got to <coughs> Google the No Mulligans podcast and you'll be able to see us. Uh, uh, or if you type that in the search bar, you'll be able to see us. And the reason is because we have our first guest of 2024, right. a really awesome one, one where you're going to literally get to see inside the ropes i'm alluding to the this <laughs> you're gonna get to see inside the ropes of uh the day-to-day um on one of the golf tours here or multiple golf tours we'll be talking about it um but before i hand the mic to scott so he can introduce our guest uh just a reminder if you guys are listening on uh, apple music uh or uh, if you're listening on spotify make sure you give us a follow or a thumbs up five star uh rating and if you could write a review that'd be great uh if you've gained some knowledge from this podcast it really helps us uh when other people are searching for golf podcasts in the search bar so uh, without further ado i'm not going to waste any more time scott do you want to introduce who we have here today yeah um so you know the golf world is a very um connected world uh you're you know what is that what they call that three degrees of separation yeah. and uh you know had a student uh this winter ken he's been a recent listener of the podcast and he's like Hey, uh, I've got a I got a cousin uh, who's a caddy uh, out on the LPGA tour, and you were out on the PGA tour for a while as well. Um, and um, it's uh, his name's Paul Fusco. I got it right. Uh, and he's currently a caddy for Se Young Kim. Is that did I pronounce that right? Se Young Kim. Se Young Kim, and then. Previously, I mean, you've caddied for a number of other players, but your other most notable one, I think, is Vijay Singh. Is that correct? Correct, yeah. So uh, we're excited to kind of have him on and share some of his experiences. And um, as always, we love to leave you all with something you can take away. So I know uh, pro-ams are always entertaining, uh, but uh, Paul, if you'll kind of give us a brief rundown, like, A, how does somebody become a caddy in the first place? Like, I've had, we've had people ask us that before, and... Like, how do you become a caddy? How'd you get in? And then I guess that kind of take us the brief overview from how you got to where you are now. Right. So it's funny. That's a great question because every caddy has a totally unique story how they got there. It's not like <laughs> a normal job. It is a great story with every caddy. But for me, I had it, I got it as a job as a summer kid when I was 12, 13. And, and I fell in love with it immediately. And I was just like, this is what I want to do. I just knew it. It was in my heart. And I went to college, graduated, and I, a week later, I'm driving out to California trying to chase my dream. And I just, I club caddy for three years, then I got a break, I went over to Europe, and it started. I just kept chasing it. I guess they, uh, I guess they say the rest is history, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Paul, I've got a question for you. Um, just because I fell in love with playing the game, and it sounds like you fell in love with uh, almost seeing the game from a, a different lens. Tell us about like what is so interesting for you seeing the game through the lens of a caddy instead of as the player playing the game. Right. For some reason, I just always – it was cool to me to – if I was in some way able to help somebody – or make a difference or, you know, and, and when you do do it and it, when you see it happen and however it happens, there's a million ways, you know, it actually just happens. But when it does, it's the coolest thing ever. You know, it's, it's like, yeah, I help, 
it made a difference you know it was cool yeah it kind of um i mean this could be a little bit of a crude analogy but it kind of reminds me of when i'd play uh, the old school madden video games back in the day and you could almost do the uh you could do it you could coach the franchise from the gm's point of view and it was always really yeah. cool to be able to play through a different point of view so i can certainly see how uh you know coaching the game or, or advising the game, if you will, from you, from your point of view, especially with some of the best players in the world, must have been uh, an, an experience that very few of us get to experience. Oh, for sure. I mean, the players we've been, I've been around, it's, just, it's, it's been a treat. Yeah, it, it the way you describe that reminds me of, like, the teaching side for me. Like, teaching's kind of been a part of me as far back as I can go. Like, even back to middle school, I'm trying to help certain kids in class and that sort of thing. And I was doing it in middle school and high school with the kids that were coming up underneath me playing golf. And there's something about – and obviously the player, it's like – it's kind of fun to play with a golf game that's better than yours. (laughs) So, like, I get to teach golf games that are better than mine. Um, And it's kind of neat to see what they can do. And um, it's definitely a team-oriented thing. I think golf's finally getting that that look of like it's not just the player there's some players i'm guessing that wouldn't be out there without a caddy um and they use them to different in different ways if i'm not mistaken right 100 percent. and the biggest thing really is the chemistry if you guys get along does the player want you there do you want to be there you know mm-hmm. if all those things are there it's going to work out you know and if it's not it's definitely not and uh, Paul, question for you here: As far as you've gotten to play with a bunch of different players and uh, um, and see a bunch of different golf games, I think one thing that we don't see on TV or from an outsider's perspective is how that relationship gets built in the first part of y'all's time together. Talk to us a little bit about how you get maybe matched up with a professional, how you start learning their game, how you start building that chemistry before you ever hit the first tee in the first tournament. Right. Well, I mean, for example, with Seon, it was nice for a change. She sought me excuse me, she sought me out instead of me asking her for the job, which was nice. So going into it, you kinda knew that, well, they're interested, you know, and sometimes you don't know that. But that makes it easier to get the ball rolling. So you know you both want to be there, and then you, you just learn each other just like any relationship. You know, you learn each other's habits, you know, what their tendencies are, their strengths, weaknesses, and then you just uh, try to fill in the blanks when you need to. Is there a, uh, a certain thing specifically right now that you see in Seung's game that you enjoy or you like taking advantage of on the course saying, man, like she's really good at hitting this shot. Man, we can play into this a lot uh, throughout the round. And, of course, any, tra- any, any trade secrets, keep them to yourself. But is there anything that you enjoy extracting out of a player if it is in their wheelhouse? Oh, well, with her specifically, it's – She's just so good. I mean, we've been kind of struggling the last couple of years. You know, we haven't won, and, but it's still in there. It's just golf. Everybody goes through it. But the cool thing is I've seen it, and I know it's in there, and I can't wait to see it again because when she's on, it's it's something special. I mean, it's it's like everybody's playing for a second. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's she's, they're just on. You know, it's, you know it when you see it. And she hits incredible. Yeah, and so – it's funny you start to talk about like how well they hit it and getting to see uh, the recent tournament where you know the the men and women were paired together the PGA LPGA tour exciting to see that you've caddied for both like 
not to, you can't like pick sides like this one's better that one's better but it's interesting to hear the PGA Tour players talk about like how well those girls can really play and um, I guess I guess my question I'm trying to ask is like what are similarities what are differences that you see between having caddied on both sides of that um, that I'll maybe one of them. <laughs> The biggest one is like clubhead speed, right? And <laughs> <laughs> you know, separated, right? I mean, because I didn't. It was funny. I was never going to work the ladies tour. I was just just out of ignorance. I was like, I don't want to go. It's not the same game, you know. Blah blah blah. I was wrong. But that clubhead speed makes a total difference. I mean, they can't hit some of the shots the men hit purely because of that, right? And getting out of rough, in thick rough, they got no chance compared to a man. But uh, that really makes a difference as far as shot making. But it also, to their advantage, they keep it on the planet, too, when they miss, right? Mm. And and they got good short games, too, so they're uh, probably more accurate to a degree. Yeah, Paul, I was about to ask a, a question related to that. It seems like the men's game right now, uh, especially with the with the, the ball rollback coming into play, it seems like it's been very much a driver wedge type of game over the last couple of years. Do you see uh, any any strengths that the women might have that the guys just simply don't focus on because of the style of game that gets played, simply maybe in the, the longer irons, kind of those 150 to maybe 210 shots? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if this answers it specifically, but, like, a lot of girls, their irons stop at a six, sometimes seven, you know, and they got a mm. bouquet of hybrids in there, which, you know what I mean? Yeah, so it's yeah, yeah. that kind of to it where, you know, a man still wants to have at least a three iron, I would think, you know, because for some par fours and tee shots and just low shots. It's funny that you say that. It makes me think of um... – a number of our adult men, particularly over like 50, that really without like a heavy workout program, somebody on them all the time to improve mobility, stability, flexibility, strength, and coordination, all those components, like they're kind of around those same clubhead speed numbers, you know, the, the high 90s, low 100s, like they enjoy right. to they enjoy watching the women's game because in a lot of ways they need to be trying to play a similar type of game rather than exactly. the men, simply from a pure clubhead speed standpoint. Right. I've always said that. I mean, since I've been out there now, I wouldn't have said it before, but now that I've been out there, I'm surprised more people don't tune in to ladies because you can play what they're doing. You can't hit like the men. I mean, most people. Right. Well, you know, that's one of the things that I, is a challenge for us and a, and a fight for us is you talk to the really good trainers who train some of the best players in the world. They're like, the vast majority of people can't train – and swing like the PGA Tour players because they don't have the bodies to do right. it. But they can learn how yeah. to play a precise, learn how to hit straight for most of them. They're like, oh, I hit it farther when I hit it straighter. I had a guy say the other day, he's like, that really went that far? Maybe I should just work on my swing instead of trying to hit it farther. Like, yeah, it went farther when you did it right and you hit it straighter at the same time. And so um, I think that's like – it's easy to get lost in the sales, 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 hit it far, hit it far, hit it far, which if you're sure. talking top tier college, both on the guys and the girls side, like hitting it farther is a massive advantage. But for club pro, that's a 15 handicap could learn well, how to uh, short yeah. game it a little better and hit it, hit it in play. Exactly. But the other side of that too, if you're going to hit it that far, you better have a good short game to match it. Right. Right. Uh, talk to Amber Um, Paul, I got a question for you here uh, for just simply 
simply put, what was your welcome to the tour moment? Like your your moment where you realized, oh, this is this is different than just a Sunday round of golf. What what's your welcome to the tour moment if you have one? Well, it's when I my first job I had was VJ in '93 over oh, in Europe. That sucks. <laughs> so that moment, I mean, not necessarily what you were asking, but that moment was like, oh my God, here it is. No, when he offered me the job and I go up on the range and remember the old red and white Wilson leather bags? Yes, the, yes. No, that's his bag and there it is. And it, it was like the whole, I'm walking up and everything disappeared and there it is. You know, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is happening. You know, <laughs> there it is, the Wilson bag, you know. And then, you know, and then he made it real easy. We just started talking and it was comfortable and, you know, got right into it and took off. That's wild. Yeah. Like, I... It is funny, like, I'm glad you asked that question, because, like, if you ask me that question about teaching, like, when was my moment when I'm up here on my own, starting on my own for the first time after being somewhere for 10 years, it's like, when was your, like, wow, you're on your own? I think it wasn't until, like, I had an intern for the first summer as one of my college girls, and it was COVID, right? So, like, my, it didn't feel like a real job until, like, the next spring, summer, and I was like... Oh, I, I got no one to rely like I'm the top yeah. dog now. Like, okay, it's my turn to make the mistakes, I guess. Uh and so yeah. it definitely like I don't know, there's a there's a nostalgia about that that I haven't thought about. Yeah, it's I, funny too, like looking back real quick. I'm looking back, you know, after thirty two or thirty one whatever years, and I've you know, I've grown kids now and I look back, I was just young and dumb and chasing a dream and I, I see all the things i did that i didn't really see i was doing at the time and i'm like holy cow i can't believe i did you know what i mean i, I really chased it like with no limits and i you know i tell you you tell your kids to do the same thing but you look back and you're like holy cow that was really uh risky you know mm. it's still it's awesome i mean looking back on it, i mean it's a whole career yeah. you know it's yeah. it's incredible yeah. uh Paul, what is some things that separates a, uh, let's just say, a, a rookie caddy to a seasoned vet like yourself with over 30 years in, in, on, in playing golf? Like, what, what is something that separates those two caliber of caddies? And, and what is it that the elite tour players want to see in a caddy? That's a great question. Um, it's funny because when you're a rookie, you're thinking, oh, what, what can I do? To help? What, what do I have to do? All these things. And what you really need to be realizing, which only comes with time and experience, is it's not about me. It's about the player. What does he need or she need? You know what I mean? It's like mm -hmm. you're there to help them, not tell them how you think they should play. You know what I mean? You, there's a time to talk about that. But when you're working in a tournament, it's you're catering to their, their needs. You know what I mean? It's all, all about them, nothing about you. You know, that's a big lesson to learn quick. Yeah, and that's um... – Getting to even think about, Hank used to always tell me, he used to say, Scott, you got to be careful how much credit you take for a player's development, even as a teacher and coach. Like, yes, you have a role, you're a part of their process, and you help improve mechanics, and you deal with emotions and dealing with life situations and helping them manage who they are. But at the end of the day, the player has to swing the club. They have to decide to commit to the shot. And a lot right. of times they kind of have, like, especially once they're developed kind of where they're at, where you're at, they kind of have the answer. Sometimes they just need some reassurance, and they right. you need to be there to be a support for them to have the answers that they That's need to right. have. 
and like make it think it's make them think it's their idea in the first place, which is like that's the whole art of caddying, you know. Right. Instead of, I mean, some players, you know, they want you to just spit it out and tell them, you know, be. But some, if you you do that, and it's a, the other reaction. It's not a good reaction, you know. They, yeah. you need to tell them the right way, you know. Yeah, Hank like, used to call it. I used guided. to get frustrated early on. Sorry, I used to get frustrated early on. It's like I know it's a seven iron, hundred percent. Just hit it, you know. But you can't do that. At all, you know what I mean? And no. A couple of season caddies. I remember early on, they're like, "You can't do it that way. You got it." And I'm like, "But it's right," you know. <laughs> and then you're frustrated, and then also finally I get frustrated not doing it, and I tried it, and I go, "Oh, you know, the light goes on." You're like, "Here you go." Yeah. You got to do it the right way. Well, it's, it's uh, that's one of the things I'm learning. The longer I teach, especially being here on my own, and like I look back in certain moments and. Like there are certain things that I've said to a student at a certain time and you're going – you look back and go like that was the exact wrong thing to say and I can see how that went in this direction. Whether it's technique related or just like emotional related, whatever it is, you're like, oh, that wasn't right or I should have been more direct with that person. I should have been more – like it's knowing what to say in the right moments and that's hard. That, like, you oh, know, yeah. <laughs> I've caddied for a number of my players and I find that the – the swing coach caddying for the players not usually a good situation because they're still trying to like they're just by nature of it still trying to think about their golf swing it's like i just trying to get you to play and i'm enjoying getting to be there and watch you play and i'm getting to learn but it's uh right. it's different like it's it's just a different experience and giving them what they need is a challenge in and of itself oh yeah well, we also on the show, Paul, we talk about how there is just such a disconnect between how you can have a perfect swing, but if you don't go out and play all the time, you you might not score even as as well as somebody who has a worse swing than you, right? So it almost seems like uh, you being the coach, if you will, of the playing side would actually cater better than to say if Scott were to go and do it for one of his students. It seems like you might even know how to extract some things more in a, in a more delicate manner than Scott might if he was teaching you in a, yeah, or more direct in your teaching. So um, I guess the question follows, Paul, is there a moment in time where you can think of a, a specific shot where you gently or delicately talked a player into hitting a shot that they were uncomfortable with and it paid off? Oh, yeah. I mean – there's a lot of them actually, but I'm just trying to nothing. That's good. That means you're you're uh, caddying for good players, right? But, but no, I mean, like I'll do that. That's funny you say that. Like uh, this is not a this won't sound like a big deal, but it is. Like Stan will have a shot, and she'll be like the seven iron, right? And I'll be like, I know it's not enough, but it's good. I mean, it's it's going to get there, but it's short side, right? It's going to be a little short, but it's the right club. I mean, there's no other club. That's it. And just saying something like. Something like that. Like, hey, I love the club, but it's definitely on the short side. Just for her, I know she's going to react. She's going to give it that little extra that I want her to, right? Mm. If I didn't say that, she'd hit a normal and then be like, well, she'd think it was the wrong club because it came up, you know, six yards short instead of two or whatever. Yeah, that's so – Little things like That's so interesting because I'm thinking about it like uh, in business terms with me and a lot of the times when I'm talking to a client, we've we've got a tendency as uh, as humans to say like, yes, but – and instead to say right. yes and, 
Uh, and sometimes, and Scott and I will talk about this as if we're caddying out on the PGA tour, but to use that, that positive language and that, Hey, you're on the right track, but you need to go here instead of completely shutting them down and trying to build it up yourself. Would you say that's a fair analogy? Very. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. Language. So like I used to hate English and now I've written two (laughs) books and I've got a podcast and I love to read now. Like I used to hate reading and, but the words like create thought pictures and they create emotion and so like I, I don't even like using the word consistent with a lot of students because they all show up and want to be more consistent. I was like, I want you to have more control. Like you can go for increasing levels of control. That way you're not using blame language. I want you ownership language. Like I try to catch right. as I, as you gain the relationship with the student, it's like I'm gonna pick at some of those little language pieces because they're keeping you from getting to where you need to get to. And it's you don't even realize it, but he's dead on. Like if I'm kind of between clubs on like a wedge shot, I've learned through my coach in college, like how do I make sure like this shot, I know I, I need a little more, but like I don't really want to take it more. He's like, why don't you just say give it a little giddy up? Like like there's a <laughs> hey, it's it's seventy six with some giddy up. Like it's still seventy six, right. but like just be a little more assertive with it. And so, like, I was able – that helped me with some tournaments under stress towards the end when you're by yourself and you don't have a caddy there with you. You don't have coach standing next to you. And right. um, I I even think – go ahead. No, you just said something about owning it, and that's big. And you always say the player has to own it. The caddy does too, but more so the, the player. When they own it, man, you, you make big strides because – you, you own it. You right away, all right, yeah, I didn't do this or I needed to do that. As opposed to throwing the club back, oh, it's the wrong, you know, club again or, you know, whatever, not, you know, defaulting. But it's big owning it. Yeah, Paul, what are some things that you um, – that were some kind of like rules of thumb for either Young or, or VJ where you, ha- you, you knew that there was a certain tonality that you needed to talk to them in? Like was there is, – is there any specificities from player to player, if you will? Oh, for, for sure. Yeah. Like I said, I mean, some players, they want you to be direct and more assertive, whereas others shoot. Some just want the number to get out of the way, you know, but they're all different that way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I remember a moment when he when you said something earlier, I remember a moment watching the British Open. Uh, Jordan Spieth hits a nice tee shot in the final round. It's the one where he was like over by the titleist, like, yeah. like, but the first hole, the ball trickles down into the rough as it can out there uh, over in Europe, but, like, that ball just kind of trickled into the rough, and Spieth's like, geez, like, like, golly, like, look at that, like, I hit it great, and just, like, rolled over here, and Greller just, I just, I'll never forget this moment. I don't remember what the number was, but it was, like, 166, get over it. Like, we're on the, yeah, yeah, yeah. we're on the, whatever That's- it is, the 55th hole off the tee shot we cannot start the final round with this like and that's the moment where but it's knowing like if he doesn't start that round that way it probably doesn't end well for jordan it probably continues to fall apart and those moments matter but you only get those by having the tight relationship with the player you can't just be a caddy or just be a player, yeah. and I think there's an art to no. learning that caddy player experience. Yeah, and, and to add That's on right. to that, Paul, too, um, is there any uh, is there do you ever think about momentum during a round? I know that the the, uh, the player is definitely thinking about focusing on the executing the shot. Do you kind of have a larger sense of the momentum that's happening during the round? 
Yeah, if you're not aware of momentum, it'll show itself and you'll it'll be a rude awakening. <laughs> no, momentum's gigantic. I mean, you keeping it going. I mean, because you can look back on every round where you didn't get the most out of it, and you're like, right there, that shot just killed the momentum. We had to start over, you know, for sure. Is that a moment, too, where if you feel momentum swaying in your favor, you might start advising uh, more and more aggressive shots as well? Uh, not necessarily. I mean, yeah, it can be, but it's more just maintained. You know, when the momentum's going, don't too high, too low. You know, don't throw a wrench in the system. Just keep doing what you're doing, and yeah, that's a result. Um, don't you know? You you just want to play. That's the whole thing. Play golf. Don't think golf. Or mm-hmm. you know, the range is for practicing, but golf course is for playing. Uh, I'm reminded of a quote that uh, Cameron McCormick said at the teaching and coaching summit one year. He said, "Your your confidence has to be higher than their doubt. And I'm assuming that goes for a caddy too. Like when they're feeling all that pressure and their heart rate's at 160 beats per minute coming down the last three holes and they're tied for the lead. And like you've like the caddy's job in that, that setting to me is really challenging because you can't show, you can't match their, their nervous energy. You have to like oppose it. And right. Both, both and verbally you and physically, and you know, it's you got to talk. Make sure you talk soft, or, or you know what I mean. Don't raise your voice. You know, don't elevate anything. Just keep everything calm and as best you can. You know, like you've been all day. Yeah, for sure. In uh, um, amateurs, what you at? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I remember, I remember Sue I sharing a story of uh, some pro ams because I'm sure you've been in a number of those. Um, oh yeah. But uh, and this is kind of like the last couple minutes trying to bring it home for our, our listener. But it's like there was a moment where they were playing basically from the same distance on one of the shots, and he turned to Sue I and said, "Don't listen to anything I'm about to say. It's 155." And he looks at Sue I. It's like it's 140. Like it's not actually 155. Yeah. That guy doesn't have a clue how far he hits his clubs, uh, so we're gonna say it's one, you know. But just like, yeah. I guess the question that kind of that makes me think of is, what are the things you've seen in amateurs in those pro ams that can be beneficial to them in terms of mm-hmm. playing? Like, obviously, you got the teacher's perspective, right? But the caddy's perspective, when we're not there, they're probably nervous. It's like. Yeah. By the way, that tour player doesn't really care how you play today. <laughs> so right. what do you say? What do you see? Well, I mean, that's just it. I mean, it's a pro-am. It's supposed to be a fun day. They're supposed to enjoy it, right? Of course, naturally, they're going to be ner- uh, nervous. But like Young and I always try to, too, it does a real good job of trying to make them relax immediately. Just, you know, take it down. You know, of course, you're nervous. You know, first tee shot, all that stuff. But just make it a fun day and, and uh, help, you know, Watch them hit a couple shots. Give them a little pointer. Nothing gigantic, but just, you know, a little thing here or there. And and just talk about other things besides golf sometimes, too. You know, just get it – just make it a fun, relaxed day, right? Yeah. Love that. As somebody who's seen a bunch of holes, Paul, um, what are two or three things that you could tell an amateur that aren't related to a swing, per se – that would have them shoot a better score in a round if they had them ne- if they had you next to them. Uh, well, well, I mean, this is probably related to a swing, but like 
the biggest thing I've seen over the years for me, it's like if you just complete your backswing, I don't care what your swing looks like, just complete your backswing. It solves a ton of problems, and it creates, you know, it's it's something simple and effective. <laughs> well, I, I like that too because um, I do the finish a lot of times as well. It's like just get to a finish. That's one thing I got to watch Scott Wilkerson, who's fit uh, for 20-something years on the PGA Tour and occasionally dabbles over there on the LPGA Tour. Might have seen him. Yeah, probably across paths. He's a UST rep. But it's like for players that are like nervous, not hitting it well, hitting it bad, and they just get more amped up, he's like, I just, just give me a finish. I can't fit you. If you're like, just give me to a finish. Like, I just need a swing that I can work with. And right. like, people get so amped up. Things like finish a backswing is – I've heard that old caddy trick. I mean, that's that's fantastic. Like, it slows them down too. Like, they generally yeah. don't swing yeah. as quick. Um, sorry, I'm on the wrong side of the mic a lot. Jack's cleaning me up, but um, no, like those types of things, like they matter. Um, I I'm a big fan of them watching more LPGA golf. Generally speaking, yeah. for the general public. 100%. And Elijah and I have been trying to go ahead. The other thing too, you can go to the other way, like when they're playing bad. This for goes for a pro too, but an amateur, it's like they're they're doing swing mechanics instead of playing golf, right? Mm-hmm. So I tell them a lot of times, I say, just stand behind the ball, see what kind of shot you want to hit, and, and picture it in your mind, and then keep that picture in your head over the ball. Don't be thinking any swing thoughts, and it'll happen, you know. Yeah, a lot of the time it's just like be an athlete, right? Like you did all your preparation right. beforehand. Now you're here. Just go be an athlete trust it yeah i love it yeah that one of uh one of the things i used to ask people to do was um like get that picture and hold that picture let me know when you lose it if you lose it the number of people that lose the picture before they ever like the club doesn't even go back i was like that's a skill you need to learn how to do and all the best players in the world have learned how to do that and they go through moments where they lose that and when you're choking the you know the crap out of it it's easy to go back to like try to grab swing mechanics not understanding that right. your subconscious brain can still make the ball go to target you know that's even right. perfect golf swings don't hit it at the target if it's not attached to it and so that's neat to see no, um oh you just subconscious takes over and it, it, it works every time if you let it I'm trying to think of one more question um what uh ooh, this is just kind of a fun general one. What tournaments are you looking forward to caddying at um this year? Maybe a favorite golf course you guys you like to caddy at? Well, British Open this year for the ladies is uh St Andrews, so that's always a treat. Oh, that's gonna be fun. That's yeah. cool. Uh, you have one more? Yeah, I've got a fun last question for you here. Uh there's been a lot, a lot of talk about uh, changing the game in one way or the other, right? Either you do rollback, club technology, all that kind of stuff. Paul, how would you change the game to make it a better, to make golf a better playing experience? <laughs> more caddy. Oh, you can, Mike, more, that's more a great question. Program. It's a big question. <laughs> uh, you got me on the spot. Uh, don't make him implicated. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> Immediately, I think about like the ball change, and it's like I don't know if that's going to be good or bad. It's twenty twenty eight when they're talking about doing it. You know, it's like I somehow just max out like no more increasing distance. You know what I mean? It's, it, we, we should be as far as we we can get. You would think yeah. at this point. So something along those lines, you know. I love it. 
I love it. Uh, well, Paul, man, we, we really appreciate you being here and being on the podcast. And uh, it's not every day that, that we get somebody with uh, as much tenure on the tours as uh, as you. So we appreciate you sharing our no- your knowledge today, man. Well, I, I think, too, it's going to be kind of neat. People are going to have somebody to go watch now over on the LPGA Tour. I mean, we have about not quite 200 listeners every every podcast. So, you know, we probably she'll have some more fans that she won't know about, but that's okay. <laughs> um, but – you know, if we can get more exposure to different parts of the game and different aspects, um, hoping to bring in Chip Beck later this year. Um, he's his son is married to my wife's sister, so some oh, cool. connections through there. But just uh, get people to be exposed to more parts of the game, and um, appreciate you being on here and getting an active caddy's perspective. And uh, we appreciate it. I'm gonna get you when we get off here. I'm gonna get you. Um, Get your address. I'm gonna send you uh, some no mulligan swag. Um, so oh, cool. something simple. So we'll have some fun no, with it. Yeah, you bet. Yeah, I'll wrap us up here, uh, guys. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the No Mulligans podcast. Thanks to Paul Fusco for coming on the podcast and sharing uh, his experience on the tours. Uh, Paul, is there any place that they can find uh, you or stay young? Where are you guys gonna be on the on how many events this year? Uh, somewhere between 25 and 28, Love typically. It. So if you guys watch the LPGA yeah. tour, you'll be able to see uh, Paul over there, and I'm sure she, I'm sure she's got an Instagram, Instagram as well. So go follow Instagram Stay Young. LPGA <laughs> player, whatever you know, you can find it on there. I don't do any social media, but Good. that's Love all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you guys see Paul on the uh, LPGA tour out there, uh, make sure that you send an uh, Instagram DM over to S Golf, and uh, we'll shout Paul out on the podcast here. So. <laughs> Y'all, thanks so much for listening, and uh, thanks for listening, watching, viewing, subscribing, wherever you guys are doing. We really appreciate you guys, and uh, we'll see you on the next one. Peace.